the church, the story is told about a family, husband and wife, who raised two boys. They lived in one end of a kingdom. The capital's on the other end of the kingdom. When the two boys grew to adulthood, they left to find jobs and their fortune in the capital city. A few months after getting there, they received word via a courier that these boys had been arrested and imprisoned for being seditious against the government. And they knew that couldn't be true. And so through an appeals process, they sought an audience with the king. And they were given a specific date by which they could go back and have an audience with the king for five minutes. And so this couple who had very little assets sold all they had to buy an ox cart and a horse and make the ponderous trip across the kingdom. This was about a three-week trip to make, have an audience with the king one week into the trip. As they were sleeping under their ox cart because they couldn't afford lodging, they were set upon by a band of highway robbers. And they cut the horse loose, and they were about to steal the horse. They stole the few scant possessions they had, and they were restraining the woman as they were about to beat the man. And out of the forest came a man who was a swashbuckling hero, who had sword skills beyond imagination. He beat the four robbers. He cut them. They fled bleeding into the night. He secured the horse, and then he pulled his horse out of the forest that was heavy laden with all types of foods. And so he sat down around their campfire and made a sumptuous feast for them. He gave them money so they could stay in lodgings and have more than enough to left over to buy food and to make their journey. And in the middle of the, the night before the dawn, he slipped away and left. They had no idea who he was. So they went to the capital and got there, and then they found lodging the night before their five-minute summons or time with the king, and they went to the royal court in this huge, incredibly beautiful city in this great castle. And as they went there and waited for their audience, one of the uh, king's assistants came out and said, when you go into this great, huge hall, you keep your, your head down and you walk to the end of the carpet and then you kneel at the end of the carpet because you'll be in the presence of the king and you'll hear the king's assistant say, what is your request to the king? And only then do you lift your eyes and look in the face of the king. I said, yes. So the great day came and they went in. The trumpets were blaring. They walked down this long carpet and knelt and then a voice said, what do you want to say to the king in two sentences or less? And as they lifted their eyes, there on the throne sat the man who had released them and befriended them and protected them two weeks ago. And he had a knowing nod, and he smiled at them. And they all lived happily ever after. Well, I made that up. So um, <laughs> it's not true. It could happen, I'm sure. But... It, but really, it's just, you, you've seen stories like this. That's just a twist. That's just a twist. But see, the, what, what, the issue is that the king is their advocate, their defender, their friend, their interceder. The king in all of his regal splendor is for them. And that's just a snapshot, a brief twist snapshot on the glory of the gospel of Christ, the eternal God of the universe who is Abba Father, because of the wonder and the glory of the cross is for us. And I've said two weeks ago that, that prayer is, according to the Westminster Confession, catechism is, is an offering up of our desires to the Lord in the name of Christ with the help of the Holy Spirit, with confession of our sins and glad remembrance of His tender mercies. And as we've gone through this, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, Abba, Father, a term of endearment, Abba, Father, who art in heaven, glorious King, tender, 
tender Lord, glorious creator. And as you understand the, the wonder and the mercy and the grace of the cross, the mercy of God fully displayed in the person of Christ, and as you see his, his grandeur and his splendor, you cry out, hallowed be your name. May your name be magnified and glorified and exalted. May you get the glory in my life, in my relationships. And then as you, as you understand that, you pray, the clause we'll cover this morning, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. So, said a few, two weeks ago, that the, I'm going to get this clicker. If you're in the gym, I'll walk off and I'll come back. Somebody said, in the gym, they said, you, you walked off. What did you do? I said, well, I got the clicker, okay? A few weeks ago, I said that, Old Confession says that at the very beginning of our prayer, this prayer, he teaches us to pray our Father to awaken in us childlike reverence and confidence in a Father that never fails. Awaken. And Spurgeon in June 3rd and morning evening says that the amazing love of Christ humbles us more than our guilt or our sin. Behold the mercy and the goodness and the love of God. He is for us. There's this account in Matthew 15. It's, it's, it's an incredible story. Jesus is um, in the middle of his ministry to the people of Israel. He's saying with great clarity and great certainty, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I am the fulfillment of the sacrificial system. I am the great prophet that you've been longing for. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Before Abraham was, I am. Saying time after time, I am the long-awaited for Messiah. So he's, 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 he's among the Jews right now. That's, that's one chapter. The next chapter will be the, na- the gospel goes to the nations. <clears throat> When he says, go ye therefore and, and baptize and teach and disciple all the nations. And, and the Holy Spirit is poured out on all the nations on Pentecost. But right now he's, he's, he's dealing with the Jews. It says this, and Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon, verse 21. And behold, a Canaanite woman or Syrophoenician, Mark says, a Gentile woman, a non-Jehovah worshiper. From that region came out and was crying, pleading continuously, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. She ascribed unto him deity. O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon, but he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came. And begged him, saying, send her away, for she's crying out after us, crying continuously. She's following us around, have mercy, have mercy. See, when you look at this, just stop. When you look at this, when you, when you think about um, heroes, brave people, you have brave people, you have regular folks, and then you have cowards. In a whole different category, you have parents. Parents will do anything for their child. And this lady said, my, my, my daughter is demon-possessed. She gets no relief. And so she's continuously crying out, O Adonai, O Lord, son of David, which is a statement of divinity. O Lord. And he answered, 
As she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. Jesus said, it's not right to give the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. The word for dogs here means kind of a, a pet, a, a puppy. Dogs were scavengers. He says, he says right now I'm with the lost sheep of Israel. And she said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done to you as you desire. And her daughter was instantly healed. Now, she gets it. She gets it. O Adonai, son of David. She gets his Lord, respond to me based upon not my merit, but strictly on your goodness. She gets a glimpse of the gospel. And as I study this, I thought, you know, here's this dear woman, and she's heard about this, this, this great teacher who has incredible power to heal and cast out demons and to do the miraculous. She has a little girl that's being bedeviled literally by demons. And so she goes to him, and as she observes him, and as she sits in his presence, she sees not only glorious, incredible power, but she sees tenderness. She sees love in action. And the, the wedding of power and tenderness moves her to continuously cry out, O Adonai, O Lord, son of David, have mercy. And see, that, that's when I look at the Lord's Prayer. If I want to really seek God and, and cry out to him, I've got to see power and goodness wed in the person of Jesus. I've got to see that. Because if I don't see that, I, I won't go for it in Christ. Martin Luther wrote about this passage. He loved this passage. And Luther said this in part. He said, he said the physician is helpful and welcome to the sick. The healthy have no need of, of a physician. But this woman felt her need, hence she followed him. Therefore, all is in vain, however friendly and lovely Christ may be pictured, if man is not first humbled by a knowledge of himself and therefore possesses no longing for Christ. He says you've got to be humbled. You've got to come to an end of yourself. Like this woman was at the end of herself. You've got to say, I, 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 can't, I, I cannot do it without the greatness and the glory and the grandeur of Christ. And, and that's it. And so you, you cry out, hallowed be your name. And then you question, how do we hallow his name? In part, you cry out, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Here's a statement on the kingdom from a group called the Gospel Coalition. It says, the kingdom of God, already present but not fully realized, is the exercise of God's sovereignty in the world toward the eventual redemption of all creation. Here's where we pick it up. The kingdom of God is an invasive power. I love that. Invasive, which means permeating, invades. It's an invasive power that plunders Satan's dark kingdom and regenerates, saves, and renovates, changes. Through repentance and faith, the lives of individuals rescued from that kingdom. He regenerates, he saves us by his grace, and he renovates. So we cry, kingdom come, renovate, change my life. I uh, was thinking about this. I just, this is, we seek Christ out of a sense of joyful desperation. You say, what? Explain that. I'm going to. Joyful, I'm in Christ. He died on the cross for me. I have union with Christ. I've been 
forgiven for my sins. I have fellowship with the living God by the Holy Spirit through the ministry of the cross. Joyful desperation. Oh God, left to myself. I will go off in a hundred directions and 98 of them are not good. I've got a passage I'm meditating on in the month of August. It's in James chapter 3. It says this, verse 13. And following, Who is wise and understanding among you? Question mark. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. What is the meekness of wisdom? Meekness of wisdom. Hmm. But, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it and deny the truth. Don't deny the truth that is, is, is bad. Then he says this. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above or heaven, but it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. And as I thought about it, I thought, you know, this is open to interpretation. So this, if I have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in my heart, it can either be earthly unspiritual or demonic. So just thinking about it, earthly is bad. It's like drinking milk that's two weeks beyond its expiration date. Just not good. That's earthly, it's bad. Unspiritual would be like eating rancid meat. It's, it's a higher level. Demonic is the Ebola virus. Destroys, destroys. And so he's writing to believers. And he says, believer, he says, he says realize that, that you can get into a place where you, because of jealousy and selfish ambition and unchecked sin and broken relationships, you can be filled with uh, an earthly spirit or an unspiritual or even a demonic spirit. Strong stuff. I don't know anything that is more encouraging than the study of church history. To see how men and women of God faced all types of obstacles and trusted the Lord and went forward. I'm always reading a biography of someone because I learned so much from honest biographies. I don't know anything that's more discouraging and defeating than the study of church history and reading biographies. There have been, you read about, whole, listen, whole denominations that are trending upward. And then there's a falling away from the authority of Scripture, from some key doctrine, and they start trending downward, and then they crash and burn. It happens time after time after. Whole denominations. And then you read about individuals. I, I, I've been reading through, thinking through. I, I love Martin Luther. I love Martin Luther. He died in 1547. Yeah, 1543. 43. I don't know. He was 62 years old when he died. I love Martin Luther. If I had a fantasy dinner, four people would be Martin Luther, Jonathan Edwards, Winston Churchill, and LeBron James. That just to have, just to have, you know, some symmetry there. If you don't know LeBron James, a basketball player. So anyway. So I, I love Martin Luther, but I've got to be honest with you. I'll, I'll read some things that Luther wrote, and I'm thinking, what were you thinking? The things he wrote about the peasants and the peasant war. I mean, Luther. And late in his life, he wrote some things that were absolutely, horrifically anti-Semitic. 
Hitler quoted Luther. It's that bad. I'm thinking, Luther, what are you doing? People say, well, he had a real bad intestinal cancer probably. He's probably in intense pain, probably writing out of his mind. Okay, maybe, but he still wrote it. What are you doing? I said, God, don't let me do anything. Just don't let me do that. I'm reading it right now. I'm reading the, another biography of Douglas MacArthur. I've read a couple of others. Great general. And here's Douglas MacArthur who, who understood the Asian mind, who understood how to protect his troops, who understood a line of defense, who was incredibly a man of valor, medal of honor winner, a man who I love Douglas MacArthur, graduated top of his class at West Point. And so you're going, what a man, what a general, what a leader. And you turn the page and say, what an arrogant, prideful, unbelievable, self-centered person. You're going, yes, yes, yes. And you go, oh man, come on. How petty can you be? That's me. That's me. I need to cry out, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. God, protect me. God, say, don't let me be one of the bodies in the evangelical landscape that litters. But let me be an encouragement. And so, let me ask you this. Are you praying, hallowed be your name and your kingdom come out of an understanding of the love flows from the bosom of the living God? who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Are you praying your kingdom come because you're glorious and you're good and you're powerful? Are you praying out of joyful desperation? I'm not, not, are you doing the right thing? Are you being obedient? See, that, that's good, but that has a limited shelf life. It's got to flow from a heart that is overflowing with the understanding that God is for us and God is glorious and he's triune and the cross is beautiful in our sight and Jesus is all wonderful. There's a man named Bernard of Clairvaux. He lived in the 1200s. He was a monk. He's a godly monk, but he wrote a little hymn called uh, Jesus, the very thought of thee with sweetness fills my breast, but sweeter still thy face to see and in thy bosom rest. I went, oh. Am I seeing and tasting the sweetness and the beauty of Christ? Um, so, so the qu question I ask myself, am I praying, hallowed, your kingdom come, because I'm tasting the beauty and the goodness of Christ? So this little catechism question says, what do we mean when we pray your kingdom come? And they mentioned four things, and I'm going to hit them very quickly. So when we pray your kingdom come, we, we are asking that, that, you, that we will submit more and more to you as we grow in Christ. When we pray your kingdom come, we are praying that the church of the living Christ will be protected and grow around the world. When we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that, that the works and the machinations of the devil will be destroyed and defeated. And when we pray your kingdom come, we're praying that we will think correctly and live correctly and take every thought captive until Christ is our all in all. So just walk through that very quickly. Your kingdom come, number one, means we will more and more and more submit ourselves to you. 
There's a man named Anthony Hokema who's written some good books. He's gone to be with the Lord. But he says this, when the Bible says be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is in the passive voice. In Ephesians 5, the thought is let the Holy Spirit fill you. Question mark. How? Since the Holy Spirit is a person, pick it up. The only way we can continue to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to continually yield ourselves fully to Him. We must take away the obstacles that stand between us and the full commitment to God. We must be willing to listen to the Spirit's voice and to follow the Spirit's leading. So we remove the obstacles. It's, it's, it's like we, you know, there's a wonderful little statement by, by Lewis in Mere Christianity where he says, you know, when you come to faith in Christ, um, you, you think that God's going to come into your life and maybe knock a wall out between the sitting room and the dining room, make a big room. But then as you continue to commit your way to the Lord, uh, he starts cleaning out closets that you don't want him to go to. And he knocks out the west wing of the house to put up a whole new house. And he says this, you were presenting to the living God what you thought was a tiny cottage, but he's making a palace because he's living in it. And it's glorious and at times it's painful. We submit more and more to him. It's like we get a circle here and we stand in the circle and the circle represents the totality of our lives. And because, listen church, because we're all sinners, we will always deal with issues in our life. That's just life. So you stand in the circle and you, you today, you go home or even now you say, Spirit of the living God, show me an area that I need to be more fully committed to you in. A relationship that's broken, and an attitude that needs to be adjusted, uh, out of control temper, spending habits, uh, a lack of commitment to you to honor you with my, my money or my time, or, 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 or a lack of seeking after you. What, what is that one area, that relationship? What is that that keeps me from crying out with all of my heart, thy kingdom come? What is it? Every one of us has issues. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. Thy kingdom come. I want to be fully committed to you. What is it? In the same book, Hokema says that the only way we can live by the Spirit's strength is to keep in constant touch with Him. Come Holy Spirit, as compared to grieving the Spirit. Or quenching the Spirit in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So we, we submit ourselves more and more unto the Lord. And the second thing is we see the gospel advanced in the church and around the world. The gospel's advanced. Thy kingdom come, oh God, may the gospel go forward. And may we work and pray to that end. May the church increase and grow and be protected. The gospel. And I've just thought about the gospel call. That the gospel call goes out to all people, and God works in hearts. And, and that there are people that are going to be sitting here and in the gym today, and they're going to be, because they're with a friend, or they just they want to be with a family, they want to just kind of hang out with some people that they like, and, and, and you're not a Christ follower. And I, I plead with you, as a pastor of this church, to trust in Jesus as your Savior, understanding what, what you can never do for yourself. 
because you're separated from a holy God by sin that is light years away from God. What you could not do for yourself, Jesus did for you when he died on the cross for your sins. He is eternal God who took our sins on the cross once for all. It is done, rose victorious on Easter Sunday, ascended to the right hand of God the Father, and he's coming home. He's coming to take us home one day. It is a story based upon historicity. It's a wild story, but it is true. And the issue is, have you trusted in Christ? And I would just plead with you, trust in Christ. Give every facet of your life to him as you trust in him because he's good and he's the king. And right now you just cry out and say, God, I trust you in Jesus. I trust the cross. See? And if you do that, just cry it in your heart right now. Tell somebody, come tell me. There are people sitting here every week who have never trusted Christ. It's not about obedience. It's about trust. Obedience follows. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, we pray, advance the gospel. Strengthen the church. Increase the church. And make the church grow around the world. The third thing is destroy the works of the devil. Destroy the works of the devil. There's a little book called uh, The Invisible War. The writer says this, Probably the most common cause of demonic influence in the church is unresolved anger and bitterness. Churches that keep a safe distance from open sin and rebellion and participation in the occult or satanic things are often safe havens for the bitter and the resentful. Many Christians are not aware that unresolved anger is an open door to demonic hosts. Ephesians 4 is very explicit about how anger that isn't handled quickly gives the devil a foothold. Unforgiveness and unresolved conflict have devastating results, not the least of which is easy exploitation by the enemy. Are you aware of Satan's schemes? I've preached on that for several months. I need to remind myself. At the elders meeting this week, we got together and what a wonderful group of men. And one of the verses that we talked about was this one in Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He says, therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember your, your brother, see, your brother, has something against you, leave your gift at the altar. First, be reconciled to your brother and then and off, come and offer your gift. Now, what's interesting is that you know, if, somebody, if you're ever in a Bible quiz bowl and somebody said, does Jesus ever say quit worshiping? The first answer would be, you think is no. Jesus seeks for worshipers in John 4 who worship him in spirit and truth. But this passage says, if you're worshiping and you remember your brother has something against you, Try to be reconciled. Then come back and worship. Jesus says, forget worship. Get it right. Are, are we aware of the, the schemes, the machinations, the inroads of the devil? And then fourthly, he says that, that we would destroy all wicked counsels against the Lord, that we'd have mind renewal, that we would have worship and renewal under the power of God's word, mind renewal. That we would think correctly. I was reading this week about a man named John White. Some of us have read his books. He's gone to be with the Lord now. He was a psychiatrist and uh, a wonderful man. And John White was writing about his depression. 
And he said, he said, he said you know, when, when you're depressed, you have to get leveled out emotionally so you can think well. He said, but after I kind of got leveled out, God brought healing into my life by an inductive verse-by-verse study of the book of Hosea. The Old Testament. Hosea. He said, because I saw in that book that God is an eternally loving, covenant-keeping, glorious, faithful husband to his people. And it revived me. And he said this. He said, if you're involved in, in, in if you're downcast or if you're coming out of a depression, he said, immerse yourself in the word of God. He says, scripture gives, brings healing to your soul. That's what we need. And I went, wow, amen. Amen. Now, I'm just saying, let us be people who know the God of the book who is Trinitarian and glorious and good. Let us know him. It brings healing to your soul. It brings deep refreshment. <sighs> Thy kingdom come. So, so church, um, you've, we're talking about Two weeks is going to be an anniversary weekend. And what, what I am asking us to do is on Friday, August 22nd, we have a day of fasting and prayer. Now, a fast is a time when you go without so you can give attention to God and pursue God. Some people may want to go on a, a media fast for three or four days that week where the, the time you spend watching would be spent seeking the Lord. Some of us will want to fast from food on Friday with breakfast and lunch so we can give time to the Lord. Uh, now listen, media fast before the 22nd. Football season starts the next week. So just uh, the next Thursday, Clemson plays, excuse me, Carolina plays A&M, and then that Saturday Clemson beats Georgia. So that's that week. Anyway, so anyway, uh, but I, I think there's power in prayer. And so, so you fast, and then we're going to come together here for a solemn gathering of worship and celebration, worship and seeking God, really, at 6.30. And then the following Sunday, we have worship. We have, we've heard the ocean baptism. We have another celebration worship at 6.30, thanking God for his faithfulness. So uh, we, we seek God at a joyful desperation. We see God saying, God, do something among us that only you can do. We see God saying, Holy Spirit, fall upon us. So, fasting day of fasting on August 22nd with a time of worship here. Child care will be provided. I'd like to really have that in the time of seeking the Lord. So, hallowed be your name, Lord. Abba, Father, your kingdom come. Oh, your kingdom come. Next week, your will be done. Agents of change. Well, let's stand where you are. We're going to close in prayer. Lord, we are your people uh, who claim the name of Jesus, and we are also the sheep of your pasture. And we want to commit our way to you afresh, anew, every day. We want to stand in this circle and ask, what would you have me to do? And I pray we'd do that. And I pray, Holy Spirit, you'd speak to us as we pray and read your word. Uh, I pray your kingdom would come in our lives, in our homes, in our relationships. Um, 
Uh, I pray that we would more and more conform to you, Lord. And even when we are uh, getting close to the finish line, we will still have issues that crop up. And so do that in our lives. We pray that the gospel would go forth with power and preserve and increase this ministry and other ministries and that people would hear the good news of Christ. Uh, We pray we we would uh, uh, be aware of the machinations and the schemes of the devil, that we would plunder the things of the devil and submit them to Christ. We pray, Lord, that we would have mind renewal under the Holy Spirit by the word of God. So we just commit our way to you. Uh, Oh, God, bring your kingdom into our lives in power. And may Jesus be praised. Thank you that we taste and see that you're good. Oh, you're good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. When you taught your men and women to pray, you said, pray, Abba, Father. We thank that Romans says that the Holy Spirit teaches us to pray, Abba, Father, dear Father. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.